0: Quiet
1: on the set. Okay, everybody, quiet
0: on the set. Scene one, take ten. Marker. From the studio of WHUPLP, Hillsboro, welcome to Murmur. My name is Robert Malazzo, and over the next hour, together, we'll explore where culture meets craft. Today on Murmur, good people, bad wisdom, player, poet, professor, Thurston Moore is with us. Welcome. Murmur. Welcome back to Murmur. My name is Robert Malazzo. Really happy and thrilled and honored to be with you every week. Via WHEPLP and also we are on iTunes, we are on Google Play, and they tell me we're on Stitcher. Although I don't quite know what Stitcher is. If anyone knows, could you just email murmur radio at gmail.com <laughs> Speaking of ways to get in touch, uh, we have a website. MurmurRadio.com. We have social media at MSF Murmur, Twitter, Instagram, all that stuff. We uh, have the Mothership uh, website, also is ModernSchoolFilm.com. We will be on the road as the Mothership. We'll be in Chicago with Alex Ross this weekend. Cool. Uh, we will be in Boston with uh, Dr. Henry Louis Gates Jr. We will be in Chicago again at the end of May with Christopher Guest at the Onion Comedy Festival, but every week you can hear us live, WHUP, LP, and when we're not live, we're what we call plausibly live. (laughs) Hey, you know, they used to say on Must See TV, if you've never seen the show, it's new to you. So even if it's a repeat, it's new if you've never seen it. Uh, Anyway, we're really happy to be here with you. I'm thrilled to be here with you. Um, Today on the show is Thurston Moore. Now, yeah, Thurston Moore, Sonic Youth, but so much more. Pardon the pun. Um, And that's kind of where I want to start today. When I think of the smart people in my life and when I think of smart artists, I wonder, can you know too much? Uh, Thurston... When I was thinking of Thurston having him on the show, and I'm suspecting when I talk to him, I'll have the same question, maybe in an answer, maybe an answer by the end of the chat. but can you know too much as an artist can it at what at what point does information and influence and inspiration constipate you constipate your process? I say that as a film you know from my tradition film, you may have heard me say on this show that most practitioners or film start as film lovers because i think the concept of film is beyond it, it, it's beyond the prelingual well visual is prelingual or at least it's it's binary it's a binary process to to the lingual act and the lingual interpretation and education of a human being but if i give a camera to a young child they they may put it in their mouth Um <laughs> uh, but if I give a young child a tennis racket or, you know, a, a plastic guitar, they may strum or play or, you know, that kind of thing. So I wonder, knowing, being a film fan or being a music fan, does that constipate one's journey towards being a practitioner? Uh, we're about to do a chat with Alex Ross, the incredible comic artist, painter, and Alex started as a comic book fan, so uh, we're going to actually broadcast that conversation on Murmur in a few weeks. But, And I'll ask him that, and and I'll ask Thurston this today. I wonder, and it's important to know that information, and forget IQ. We all know that IQ comes in different forms and formats, but inspiration and information, if one captures... The, the, the images and sounds associated with the things one loves, can that set up an unnatural expectation and crush the creative spirit? Because one searches kind of um, blindly and, and maybe naively for perfection when they create. There's no such thing as a perfect art form, um, Stanley Kubrick aside. Uh, and that may be that may be a vain search and a vain um, a vain desire, or a vain premonition that one could create towards perfection. But b- before we even get into the creative part, can loving an art block you from creating that art because you you set up this unnatural expectation? It's like anything else, and and I do want to divide it from people who think a lot because we can have different. Buckets of intellectual calisthenics, we can have people who know a lot uh, statistically, diagnostically we can we could uh, have people who know a lot like street knowledge, we could common sense. I mean, there are different forms of knowledge, but there's also people who have an encyclopedic knowledge of film. I've heard of these people. I don't know them because they're probably awful, miserable people, antisocial. they don't get out much. Stay away. That's my point from these people. but also music painting. I always thought painting, though, painters seem to distance themselves from the things that came before them, except Picasso. Picasso was actually very openly uh, taking particles and sort of doing them better. They called him the great synthesizer. Critics used to call him the great synthesizer. Thurston is someone—I don't know Thurston, but I do know that he came to New York during a really great time— the mid seventies and really was part of maybe on the, on the dramaturgical tale of, but also the gasoline towards this sort of no, the, the, the revolution in, in, you know, sort of, a, I want to say American punk, cause that may be re, re, redundant, but the no wave music. And also at that time, no wave art and no wave film. We, we don't, one, one doesn't talk about the no of it all. Amer- in, in terms of American authorship, and it's unfortunate because it's one of the purest forms of American artistic authorship. That genre, and son- and Sonic Youth, even pre-Sonic Youth, Thurston was part of that, and then Sonic Youth you know, brought it brought it ter- brought it everywhere. Brought that brought those um, mitochondria everywhere. But he's someone who was is so in touch with art and influence. He's a poet. I think poet is poet poet. Poetic thought, you know, poetic thinkers, that's sort of a gateway drug if you have that aptitude. And from what I know about Thurston, he he doesn't come from a home of chaos. He came from a sort of upper middle class home, born in Coral Gables, raised, I think, in Bethel, Connecticut, and then came to New York, dropped out of college, came to New York. So he's a really interesting um, lab study for knowing and it hasn't hurt his work or his trajectory. Uh, 1976, you know, we're talking about 40 years of art creation. Um, so, you know, but sometimes I must admit, sometimes I think it's better to know nothing. Um, Orson Welles once said that the best actors know nothing. And he thought there was a reverse correlation between intelligence and aptitude and sensitivity and acting. Brando was, you know, another one who used to advocate for less, not more. So sometimes I wonder, is it better to know nothing? Or at least if you say, somebody asks you a question, just say you don't know. Now this.
1: Is it safe? You're talking to me. Is it safe? To what's safe? Is it safe? I don't know what you mean. I can't tell you if something is safe or not, unless I know specifically what you're talking about. Is it safe? Tell me what it refers to. Is it safe? Yes, it's safe. It's very safe. so safe you wouldn't believe it. Is it safe? No, it's not safe. It's very dangerous. Be careful. Relax. Come on, open. Oh, okay, okay. Come on. Come on. That hurt? Uh huh. No, I should think it would. Should take better care of your teeth. You have a. quite a cavity here. Is it safe? Look, I tell you, I can't do it. Think he knows? Of course he knows he's being very (laughs) stubborn. Please don't. No. No. It's okay. Huh? Is it not remarkable? Simple oil of clothes? and how amazing the results. Life can be that simple. Relief, discomfort. Now, which of these I next apply, that decision is in your hands. So, knows something is wrong Cause my body has strange information He's looked in my eyes and knows I'm not a child But he doesn't dare ask the right question Mother, my friends are no longer my friends And the games we once played have no meaning I've gone serious and shy and they can't figure why So they've left me to my own daydreaming bad wisdom what price to pay for bad are so fine if i'm good then i will be protected i've fallen through the crack and there's no getting back and i'll never trust whoever gets elected what price to pay for bad
0: I miss the word record as much as I miss record stores. Um, it's one of my favorite words. It's actually based on uh, the French word of remembrance. Um, it also has a really cool etymology, a Latin etymology, "ricordare," which means to remember. And core, C-O-R, is actually Latin for heart. C-O-R-D, cord, heart. Um, today's guest he's authored a few records in his lifetime uh, he has a new let's call it record for today let's see how what he thinks about this word uh, he has his now fifth solo uh, record out uh, there's also this year a really cool uh, oral discography on today's guest called uh, we sing a new language what we like about him is he's an icon he's a, a writer He's a musician he's also executive produced a film but what we love about him is he doesn't live in new york city anymore he doesn't watch tv and he's a huge john candy film (laughs) film fan please welcome to murmur into the modern school of film from london england mr thurston moore hey rob how are you yeah i'm good i read somewhere some really cool thing about you and coco your daughter uh, used to watch John Candy films in your pajamas on tour buses. Now, yeah, well, it was primarily Uncle Buck, <laughs> you know, and, yeah. uh,
2: and that was, you know, th- that was on repeat viewings for a couple of tours there. And it wasn't just me and Coco, my daughter; it was everybody on that bus glued to that 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 uh, that, that that film. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's one of those it's one of those films which is just it, it's. It's it's just it's slightly inane, yeah, um, but yeah. it's like you uh, it it kind of kind of galvanizes uh, everybody's attention um, because of just the beauty of of, of, of John Candy's humor. Um, he's you know he was such a he was such a wonderful beautiful comic. Yeah. You know, yeah. Like actor, and I loved him always. You know, um, uh, in, through the. 70s and 80s on on SCTV when it was being shown in the states, uh, usually on public broadcasting, and uh, so I was always a huge fan of his. So when he comes to Hollywood and then he makes Uncle Buck, it was just you know
0: it was it was a it was a great time to be alive. (laughs) (laughs) Uncle Buck is interesting because a lot of people don't put that in the John Hughes catalog, but John directed it. Um, You know, well it's a fairly it's a fairly you know, there's a lot of kind of uh, – the,
2: the, there's a lot of puerile humor in it, which John Hughes didn't really sort of uh, resort to too much puerility in his movies. But exactly. But this one – this one has a great, like heaping dose of it, and it's just—it's really, it's really, it's really, uh, it's really kind of shocking, and 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 and, but but innocent at the same time. It's kind of—I I really, I, I, in fact, I think I'm going to have to watch that tonight. <laughs> well,
0: it's—it's it's funny. We tell our students. Uh, we're talking to Thurston Moore. We tell our uh, film students that every movie is a documentary, and it was interesting pouring over some of your your words and stuff. You're talking about records as a document of culture, Uh, just to obsess on this word a little bit. It is a cool word to think that a record is a record, like literally a record of time. Um, Do you think that's an overstatement? You have a new uh, amazing record out now, Rock and Roll Consciousness. But do you think that's overstating it, that songs and uh, LPs and EPs are literally a record of time, like anthropological time? Well, I completely uh, love how you stated the etymology of the word because I, I
2: really never, I never really knew that, and I'm, I've always been interested in in etymology, so that was that was just great to hear. Oh, cool. um, I find records, to me, I mean records and books, I mean as 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 physical documents. Um, when when young bands and artists ask me like. Uh, how they should sort of, you know, get into the world of being an, uh, you know, an artist uh, as a vocation. I say make, make a record, make a book, make a film, make something that you can actually gift to uh, the person, even though it's, it's not something you're going to see revenue from. It's really, uh, it's a, it's a wonderful thing to do. And it's, it's a, it's a vibrational object that um, cannot exist in the uh, digital media. Yeah, it cannot exist as I, I mean, digital media. Have no, I have I certainly have no um, format prejudice. Uh, you know, I, I think digital is uh, you know is fine as far as um, uh, for what it offers as 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 communication. But I I have this really um, strong feeling about the vibrational aspect of. Of books and records as documents, and what they hold as history, as what they hold as emotion, you know, like physical, personal, emotion, um, being gifted. And I think it's it's a bit of a what they would call a gift economy. So mm. I, I, I buy into it. And so I always um, I always suggest make something. That's first and foremost what, what I, how I feel about it. It's a gift of love.
0: Well, maybe you got me stuck in the John Hughes of it all, but I'm thinking of mixtapes, like giving a girlfriend or a boyfriend or a beloved... Man, this sounds nuts. Like, I just moved out of New York, and I was thinking of some of your moving and all the stuff I had, you know, records and books. But the thing I held on to, like, old girlfriends making me mixtapes, and just that is also not only the romanticism of it, but I learned so much about music from those gifts. I had never heard uh, um, you know, The Sundays until a girlfriend put it on, uh, and then I fell in love with The Sundays and Innocence Mission, and you know, so I think it's, it's, you're right, it's a gift of intimacy, but it's a larger time capsule of time and space as music can be, um, uh, so I miss that, man. I miss mixed <laughs> tapes <laughs> of, I've been sort of, you know, I've been getting
2: into this thing of making um, mixed literature Like where you sort of where you all sort of list, uh, you know, poems and you print them out or you just sort of cut and paste them into your your document and you share those with everybody. And here's my here's my side A, side B of of mixed poems or mixed chapters or mixed, uh, you know, just Mm -hmm. prose pieces. And so I've been getting into that lately I, love um, that. I mean i say that i mean i say i'm getting into that i guess maybe that's a fa- i'm getting into that in the fantasy world because i haven't really really been doing that but i sort of uh i like the idea of it let's put it that way well i like, I,
0: love, I love that your ethos comes from you know you're telling the, the young the, the the generations like hey create something you know forget the end game I, I love that hobbies become loves you know orson welles always said his favorite word was amateur because amateur comes from the Latin word to love, um, and he never he never wanted to be called a professional uh, because professionals kind of do stuff for an end game. So
2: I, well, I, I remember Johnny Thunders uh, on stage at uh, at a gig. Uh, with his band at the Mud Club which was totally falling apart right? and he just went up to the microphone and slurred we never said we was professionals <laughs> and I, I just thought that was great I was just like yeah I'd much rather see this than any kind of slick big arena rock show right now it's just yeah. like it's way more affecting you know and the best for me, the best bands are like the bands that are out there on day one, you know, like a just learning how to walk, you know, and not really maybe knowing how to play, uh, except for what they learned that morning, you know, um, those are the best bands, you know, the, I mean, those are the best gigs, you know, it's just like, they're just the, the accidents are, are beautiful. And, you know, that's what I always loved about punk rock. When it happened, it just sort of, it, it brought that into a place where it's just like, oh, we we can all sort of do this, and it's kind of wonderful, you know, and it it, it sounds and looks, and it's just great. And it's really in opposition to this idea of, um, you know, Perfection, uh, you know, on the physical world, you know, because, mm. yeah, you think of perfection in religious terms. that's it's a bit of, met, of a met, bit of a metaphysical thing. It's a thing of wanting to be like God, you know, perfection. And so I uh, I always like the idea of the imperfect art, you know, as they as uh as I think, I think they it was a book by Don Dana Gio Gioia. The he was a I think the poet laureate of USA or. If I, if I stand corrected in that, but uh, if, if wrong, but he had written a book about this called *The Imperfect Art*, which I I, th- I found re- really interesting.
0: Someone like Lars von Trier or filmmaker, or even like if you look at John Cassavetes' films, I mean Cassavetes didn't want virtuosity, and that's why a lot of cinematographers wouldn't work with Cassavetes. Um, *A Woman Under the Influence* was shot initially by the AFI film students because he wanted mm-hmm. that imperfection, but. Mm-hmm. you know when i think of your work your your canon you know i i hate the simplification that you guys were into noise and sound like i i think that's it's reductive i i love the fact that it it was kind of, you know, it was pure. You know, the work was really coming from a pure place. And you mentioned punk and, and those kind of, you know, it was coming from an emotional place. My favorite Thurston Moore image, and we've never met, but my favorite Thurston Moore image is one of your partners in crime, Richard Edson, talked about first playing with you. And seeing blood on your hands because that there were like you were <laughs> you were cutting yourself on your guitar because you were kind of playing into the knobs and the the levers of it all, and that well, was due. Yeah. It was it was due to that. It was due to the um, the cheap guitar I had. at the <laughs>
2: There were, you know, it's like the plastic knobs that covered the metal spindles. Uh, yeah. The plastic, the plastic knobs were missing, yeah. so there was just the metal spindles, and you invariably would hit those, and you would like cut your knuckles, and it was just a drag. But I, you know, it was all a matter of. Um, uh, you know, that's what we could afford. It was it was, you know, it was our it was our it was our poverty that made that that created the blood and the blood, you know, it didn't really hurt that much. But it was a little embarrassing um when Richard looked at his 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 <laughs> beautiful bongos, and there was like splatters <laughs> of, <my blood>. <laughs> yeah. you know, I was going
0: to say those splatters are probably worth uh, some coin right now talking to Thurston Moore from the film geeks perspective, you came to New York. Around the taxi driver time like not when taxi driver was known when taxi driver was shot You came down to New York around 75 76, right? Um, I started I started Making way into New
2: York around 75 76. I was a teenager and Finding my way in but I remember seeing taxi driver I actually wrote a long essay about taxi driver years later for a film series that Richard hell was doing oh, cool. uh, in, in New York City and I and I've and I've misplaced it. And I've always looked for it. Oh, and I, I, I've asked actually, Richard Hell, like, you know, do you have that essay I wrote for uh, your film series? And he didn't have it. But I always remember reading it at this, at this film series. And um, it was really extensive. And, and about 20 minutes into it. Uh, I could hear somebody in the back, kind of just groaning, like "Get on with it!" Oh, like, come <laughs> on, man. That was Richard. <laughs>
0: Probably, <yeah. laughs> did, did you do it at BAM? Was it something Richard was curating no, there? No, it
2: wasn't at BAM. No, God, no, no. It was at it was uh, it was at um, Two Boots Pizza. <laughs> oh, cool!
0: I used to love that screening room, man. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was your neighborhood. It,
2: that was Two your- Boots Pizza was a cine- cinephiles uh, pizza place. You know, they had a screening room and they had pizza. You know, it was at a video like, store. <laughs> oh,
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and the best fountain Pepsi at any movie theater in New York. Take that to the bank. We just had Adrian Utley from Portishead, and he waxed philosophic about Taxi Driver. He said that was his kind of social studies history 101 of New York. Mm -hmm. What about New York in 76? And I, you know, because there was a no-wave film scene, too, that you stepped into. And the no-wave music you guys... Created that you jumped into that with so many great artists, but the film, the 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 image, the multidisciplinary vibe. Were there a lot of cool filmmakers as well as musicians? Yeah, yeah. I mean,
2: moving into New York City uh, in seventy six, seventy seven. I mean, as as Lydia Lunch says in in the No Wave book that Byron C- and Colley and I wrote and edited was. It was as if the apocalypse already had happened, and so you're walking into in into a bomb site, and you can sort of set up your tents there. And <laughs> that's kind of how it felt. And it was it wasn't too far removed from the visuals that you would see in Taxi Driver. It was it was a it was a it was a wild city, uh, you know that the, the the government was not funding at all, mm. um, so it, it was cut off. Um, so. You know, we had our place and it was uh, to to be artists and it was kind of the last it was the last point in time where New York City uh, could offer that really sort of um, uh, cheap and accessible uh, lifestyle for for an artist to to exist in yeah, um, yeah. you know it, it soon by the end of the 80s became more and more moneyed and real estate took over and which makes sense because i mean that ha- that happened in, to all the cities in in uh, in europe and and in,
0: in america for the most part well, except uh, for except for detroit and, uh, uh, well a lot and a lot of those cats moved to berlin you know a lot of a lot of those east village artists and they're still moving there
2: there was a quite a connection between um a, a lot of the the film enthusiasts and intelligentsia in Berlin coming out of, uh, you know, a Fassbender's oeuvre and, and New York city. And so there was a real connection between, um, I think a, a lot of film aesthetic that was happening in Berlin and happening in New York City and to some extent Paris. Mm-hmm. And so that was, that was interesting at the time. Again, I was a teenager. So a lot of this was a little, um, over my head, you know, it
0: was, it was, it was sophisticated discipline. Well, dude, you were making the history. I mean, you can't take a, a thousand foot view on it when you're in it. I, I'm not, I, I know you're, you're well, I was curious, you know, when
2: yeah. I, when I, I, one of the things that really brought me into New York besides wanting to see Patti Smith and Richard Hell and, 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 and wanting
0: me. to sleep with Patti. Smith, come on. Let's just get down to it, basically. Well,
2: I mean, you
0: know, (laughs) I mean, I still want to sleep with Patty Smith. Is that is that cool to say? (laughs) Sorry.
2: Well, I, I, I certainly was enamored by a lot of these people, but you know, there was one ad in the Village Voice, which was a card sized ad in the film section uh, for an Amos Poe film, Um, and it basically just had the blurb. Dot 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 depressing <laughs> dot dot dot. It was called Unmade Beds, oh, cool. and uh, yeah. and you know it was it was Amos Poe's um, take on a, uh, on a on a on a Jean-Luc Godard aesthetic. Um, a very the a challenging film to watch, and but just for the fact that it um, it had that blurb dot 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 depressing dot dot dot. It made me jump into my VW bug and rattle my way into New York to see this film. Mm. And so there, you know, I, there was something about New York that sort of offered subversive thrills. And I'm not quite sure why that resonated with me. Like, why did I want to see um, this, this really marginalized uh, culture happening with these, these kind of really freakish people making this music that was not exactly, uh, you know, commercially, you know, accepted. So, Um, I think maybe it was just because it had more mystery. It just had more, um, it, it, it felt like it was the unknown, Mm. you know, and it it also just felt really, uh, exotic, uh, and, and it was very, um, sensual and, 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 and intriguing. And so I, uh, I kind of ran into it and, and so there was filmmakers, uh, in town, who had been there uh, a few years earlier, and I, I were, I was, and um, beginning to make films that were being played on St. Mark's Place at a place called the Super 8 Cinema, and they H- were. How far east was that on St. Mark's? It was on St. It was actually on St. Mark's Place, right between Second and Third Avenue. Okay, right. Yeah, right in the heart of it. Um, but at that point, like a lot of New York, that still that was a bit of a, a bit of a rough road. Yeah, and uh, you know there was a there was some just you know there was Gem Spa on the corner, famously uh, recognized from the back of the first New York Dolls album cover. But so Super 8 Cinema was was this place where I first went because they were showing films. Um, of certain bands that were playing at CBGB's, like the Dead Boys or the Contortions or Teenage Jesus and the Jerks, and it was, I think it was like a dollar fifty to go in. And and um, I, you know, I was a kind of a poor kid in town playing with an art rock band that came out of Rhode Island School of Design, and we were playing in little loft spaces uh, in, in Soho once in a while, and trying to sort of get an audition night at CBGB's if possible, and these kind of things. And so I was just you know, I'd bomb around and I would sort of slip into some of these places. And that was one of them. And that's where, I, you know, I was fascinated by the fact that you could pick up a Super 8 camera and make a film and, and show it on a on a, uh, a white sheet. And, yeah, yeah. you know, you'd have to struggle to hear it because of the sound of the projector was right next to you. <laughs> uh, and it was beautiful yeah. about it and people just sitting on folding chairs and smoking cigarettes and watching a movie. And like, yes. you'll never see that again. You just don't oh, see that again. Sucks, there was something man. really beautiful about that, you know, beautiful and rough and just kind of like, maybe not, maybe not the healthiest place to be. Yeah. It was super stimulating. I remember yeah. walking out of there, you know, um, and after seeing, um, one of James Neres's film Rome 78 and thinking like, Oh my God, you know, uh, I really feel like I can do anything. <laughs> and it wasn't because yeah. it was like bad or lame. It was actually very uh it, it, was, it was actually very kind of well done in a way. You know, even though you can see the actors sort of looking down at their feet, reading the the, the, the lines. Um there was something beautiful about that too, you know, I still
0: do that on stage I have my lyrics at my feet and i'm looking down reading them <laughs> Well, that's i mean when you can see the construct the points of construction I think young creators who have that dna are stimulated by that
2: And I think maybe after my father passed away. I went out to find as much of it as I, as I could mm. Um, he wasn't really into the arcane and the obscure. I mean he was into sort of more sort of classic uh, philosophical literature and, and, and classical music. And, you know, I mean, I remember going through his, his, his prints of paintings that were, you know, in his, uh, university desk after he passed away. And the one I really liked most was, was, uh, you know, a print of, uh, Jackson Pollock, you know, and cause it was just, it, it, it just, it sang to me. I, I, it was a real privilege to be an hour and a half away from New York city You know, I I don't know what I would have done if I was uh, any further away. I mean, I I really don't. And uh, to be able to 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 be able to get into New York City very readily as soon as I had a driver's license um, was really, uh, in retrospect, a wonderful thing. I I remember. You know, I remember going Sorry. to down to Miami, Florida, and and visiting some relatives right around then, and there wasn't a scene going on uh, so much, but there, there, there was some tiny thing going on because I saw something in the free weekly paper, like by an ad by somebody like looking to play music with people who are into the punk scene you know and like i was like whoa and i was like maybe i should call that number maybe i should stay down here and i have the you know we'll have this whole world to ourselves to sort of create in and we can be the the pioneers because the pioneers are already have taken uh hold in new york and i'll have no competition it was kind of a funny feeling but i but I, I, didn't, and I, I came back up to New York, and um, and you know.
0: and you know you 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 screwed up from then on. I mean, <laughs> yes, obviously, right. obviously, obviously, you zigged when you should have zagged, my friend. Um, we're speaking with Thirsted War. You reminded me of something talking about the Jackson Pollock painting that turned you on. Uh, Marlon Brando was once asked, "What's um, what's the greatest piece of direction you ever got?" And it was right before uh, they made um, Last Tango in Paris. Bertolucci and he went to the Louvre uh, days before the shooting, and they were looking at Francis Bacon paintings. And the the beginning of Last Tango is the, the opening credits are the Francis Bacon paintings, mm-hmm. and um, they were staring at one in particular. And Bertolucci turned to uh, uh, Brando and said, "Marlon, I want you to act like that painting." He said oh, that was great. He said that yeah. was the best piece of yeah. direction he ever got in his career.
2: Um, that's fantastic.
0: And But you strike me as someone who's turned on by the turn on. You know, uh, I, your work has never been hermetically sealed. It's not self And what's amazing about you throughout the years, you're not self-referential. Like, I, I hate, I got to say, and, and I'll ask you this later in, in a more mercenary way, but I, I hate going through the, the, the Sonic Youth stuff and looking at, Oh on this record they were so quoting the second record like i don't know man do you get tired <laughs> how the hell could that even be like how, you know do we over i mean do we overthink this stuff i mean you know in general
2: uh, no, no i don't think there's any any issue with over overthinking or analyzing anything in, in in disciplines of art i you know i you know, coming into New York in the late 70s, it was coming into a lineage that was already informed by interdisciplinary art. And so that's really interesting when, you know, uh, Bertolucci will tell Brando, it's like, I want you to act as from the the feeling you're getting from from this this Bacon painting. It's like, you know, we're coming in. It, it was great coming into this sort of post John Cage culture of just sort of like where you would have scores that were implicate that were just sort of implying. um, uh, it, um instruction, you know, and it was just and by the visual. It was just like uh, you would have graphics that were visual that would sort of tell the musician like play music from what you receive from this visual you know, as a yeah. so, You know the most traditional sort of notation or sometimes it would be a balance between those two and I've always been in, interested in that balance. I've always been in, interested in that relationship between Honoring tradition, which I think is a very honorable thing to do and and to bring in your own personalized notion of what could be new or what is unknown or what is experimental. Right. And so for me, composition was always all about taking a traditional um, taking. Traditional ideas of what a band can be—two guitars, bass, and drums—and bringing in these ideas that are completely unorthodox and sort of unifying that into something new or something you. To me, it's like coming into New York and seeing filmmakers playing rock and roll, and rock and rollers making film, and 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 um, jazz musicians m- making paintings, and and, and painters—you um, know—doing whatever the hell they want. It was just like. Um, it's like you were devoted to the creative lifestyle and you can focus on something that um you might want to become devotional to such as being in a rock band or or being a filmmaker so when i look at somebody like jim jarmusch you know who's somebody i've known since i used to work with him in a xerox store you know I, (laughs) I, i i i i see somebody who's just like who approaches making film as if he's Plugging a guitar into an amplifier.
0: You 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 read my tea leaves a little bit, man, because it's funny about Jarmusch speaking Thurston Moore. I, no matter what Jim does, like if he did Iron Man Six, he, he <laughs> to me he's still East Village East, and I mean that is a, as the uber compliment to him, you know. Yeah. And then we go back to the dinner. We we're talking about Germany and his adoration for vendors and all that stuff, but. I think that's cool. I, I think that yeah. you say that, and I like that about Jim, but that's just DNA, right? I mean, Jim is, yeah. someone like Jim, but you're, you're DNA too. I mean, the things you do, that's why I love the word author. I think of you as an author, a creative author. But can cultural, too, too much cultural literacy cock block you? I mean, you, you are a <laughs> cultural PhD, man. Um, C- can it get in your head? I mean, c- film is tricky. I'll just say one thing and I'll throw it over to you. Film is tricky because film is one of those mediums we come to as lovers before we come to as practitioners. Music is slightly different because I can give a child a violin and get them to up to Mozart and they may not be in touch with Mozart. But film, we are typically the audience before we are the doer. So I, I pose that question. Can the mm-hmm. cultural literacy screw with your mind? um take looking at that point of view does that is that a legitimate thing how do you but you need to so one needs to balance the love with the practice is that is that the short answer
2: yeah, you certainly have to you i think any person working in any creative discipline has to check their own narcissism because that's where you get cock blocked yeah. and you yeah. have to circle beyond the self you have to change the i and the me to the they and the we and so I think that is a, a, a completely important thing to consider. You know, it's funny about Jarmish. <laughs> I mean, he uh, he he's the first one in line for Iron Man. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's like I used to see him hanging out in front of cinemas, and he would be. You know, I, I figured like, oh, I'm gonna talk to Jim for a while. We'll talk about like, you know, some some cinema. Uh, Sam you Fuller, Sub obscure. <laughs>
0: he be, right, oh, right. he was like, he was like, have you have you seen the new Die Hard yet? It's amazing. <laughs> You know, I could see Tony Stark has sunglasses and a shock of gray hair. You know, now I could totally see that, and he fights Yoko Ono or something. I could totally, totally. With all due respect to Yoko, um, who's a friend and colleague of yours, speaking with Thurston. and who's also like an amazing filmmaker, an amazing well, poet, I, amazing I just, I think, poser, you know, amazing singer. I hate to talk to you like you're, you're not in the conversation because you, you are everything we're talking about as well, but but people who are listening already know that, so I don't want to keep reaffirming that. I'd rather demystify this a little bit with you. You said something about performance and visuals. I thought this was really interesting. We had Dan Lanois on the show, and Dan was talking about Neil Young, um, who would often like throw up a visual, they'll throw up a visual, like an ambient visual in a studio. And Neil will play to it, like riff off it or improv off it. And, and you, cool. yeah, well, you've talked about some really cool uh, 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 strategies in terms of like even the Sonic Youth visuals, where they would be like giving people like ca- mounting cameras, sh- pointing them at fans, and also like some uh, slightly dadaistic <laughs> random association of images and music. I guess my question is how much do images inspire you? as a, as a creative force, not simply as an audience. They completely inspire me. I mean, uh, you know, I, I as much want to
2: go see cinema, um, in, 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 you know, in the evening than I want to go see or and hear music. Um, (laughs) and sometimes more so. So I was like, I mean, and I, I, and I think that's a lot of has to do with, I I get complete inspiration from, from the energy and and the power and the, and the the profundity of, of cinema, you know? And so, Completely inspires me, and to incorporate it into whatever I present live, uh, you know, uh, in in my music is just it, it's 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 wonderful to sort of have this completely open library to work with of you know working with different uh, filmmakers. I remember um, when Sonic Youth played uh, at CBGB's in the '80s, and it was during one of the very first college music journal symposiums, and all these music industry people from all over America uh, converged into New York, and so they were going to all these different concerts. And we just happened to have this matinee gig at CBGB's uh, that weekend. And it really wasn't about CMJ, but we were there. And we decided that we were going to play a gig – where we were going to have Richard Kern show some of his new films on two screens on either side of the stage while we played. And we didn't know what he was going to show.
0: And if uh, you was, don't know what Richard
2: Kern is going to show, that's, that's, per, you're in for something. Well, I mean, he had just sort of, he had just sort of filmed something. He said, I just filmed something, you know, uh, called uh, Submit to Me. Okay. And uh, I was like, okay. Um, the, the, Whatever you want, man, and then like so we uh, we played and so we're playing the gig and in between songs uh, There's very little response and I was like man. We're really kind of uh, We're really not happening here. We're like we're not really connecting with this audience um, and At some point between a song I heard somebody in the middle of the audience go like oh nice and he, you know like oh, as wow. if they were just a, a bit kind of like their brain had just melted right. and I turned around and there, uh, you know, on the screen was like some kind of incredible, you know, uh, you know, nude self mutilation scene going on and I was just like, Oh dear. That <laughs> and, then, and then the audience, all eyes were on the screen, not on us. Yeah, right. we were just sort of like, you know, we were a soundtrack and I was like, and then I felt really great. I was like, Oh, we're soundtracking live. This is wonderful. I, I want to be the, you know, I want to be the, you know, the human soundtrack. Well, you
0: know? <laughs> I remember seeing the last North American show Pink Floyd, and when they did Dark Side of the Moon, they literally, man, they kill the lights on stage, and it's just them playing under the images, uh, w- w- which is like, yeah, they become amazing that you would mention that that because one of the things that really inspired me at, at,
2: at probably 15 years old or so was going to see Pink Floyd's uh, Wish You Were Here uh, oh, yeah. tour. Amazing. Um, where did you? It's... Where
0: were you when you saw it? Well, oh it was in New
2: Jersey at some arena and we and my friend and I just drove for like five hours to go to this thing because I bought tickets from some ticket agency in this little town I wanted to see Pink Floyd I had that record I was like that would be cool to do and not really knowing what we were up against and just like sitting up in the nosebleed seats which was the greatest seats for a Pink Floyd concert because exactly. you see everything exactly and you know the band was just like you know it didn't really matter what they look like because they just had these Huge uh, circular screens on each side of the stage that just showed films the entire time, yeah, and yeah. it was, and they, and that was just. I just thought, like, what a, a great thing to do for an audience this size. You know, it's just yeah. like it, you, you get rid of the your your you as this human construct, and sort of bring in
0: this work that is just. That everybody can share. Well, not to sound like a bad VH1 documentary, but that's that record, right? Wish you were here. You know, at that point, they could have been anyone. You know, which one's Pink? You know, oh by the way, oh, you sure. know. So, so again, I mean, I I think you, again, man, you your antenna was pretty sharp at a pretty young age, and you were also a pilgrim. I mean, music can do that, right? Like you you made a pilgrimage to Jersey to see this, and and it's something yeah. that film never quite did. I think Coppola tried to build a cinema that would only show um, Apocalypse Now um, yeah. so people could travel to to do it, but he never quite did it.
2: I think working in film is such a... Um, it, it, it's such a... It's such a... Um, it's such a, a, a political thing because it's a collective, and you have to yeah. work with so many people, and there's so many mouths to feed. And, and for me, I tend to want to sort of create primarily in solitude with sonic youth it was uh, it, we grew up together and it was a really sort of democratic concern and four people was kind of um it was kind of the limit i think yeah
0: <laughs> you know and yeah.
2: I, so and, and i know from my experience and in, in w- w- with working uh with filmmakers and seeing how they work on set um you know it, it's really curious i mean i remember <laughs> working with, i remember being on set with gus van zandt when he was doing last days of and course. just sort of seeing how he how he was sort of working with everybody there the, you know, um, and the, it, it's a real sort of, you need to sort of have a great way of being a, a politician,
0: how you delegate. Talk a little bit about Gus on the last days. What, what was his manner with the crew?
2: No, extremely kind and, you know, and, 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 and extremely studious and also very sort of working, um, with some sense of, trust in his own uh improvisatory aesthetic which i think is you know some something that you could you see in 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 the auteurs of cinema is that they there's there's a lot of trust in in that uh aesthetic of improvisation They certainly i i think you you you, you would find it like in olivia say when we were working right on doing the music uh for one of his films and he was just letting the music sort of define a lot of his editing um and we would just we would send him music and he would he would look at it and it would it would it would influence him into how he was uh constructing this this film
0: when you see a movie do you get distracted by the soundtrack or are you are you oh it? yeah it was, i'm well i don't get
2: distracted by it but i'm very conscious of it yeah and i'm very uh envious of it because <laughs> I'm always, i mean i'm always wanting to sort of uh uh, work in film where I'm actually creating and composing music for but I, it's it's kind of um, I don't really aggressively go for it I mean I don't like you know I'm not really sending my music to all directors and friends or people I don't know or whatever
0: that I respect but I just don't do it I mean I guess I should but I would love to do more of that well can um, you work with are you so, someone who works well with time in that sense you know yeah. uh, hey I need a 30 second cue or I need a yeah. you know, I've done that I've done that. I can do that. You
2: know, I understand that, and I, I, I can certainly. Well,
0: just that. leave me your resume, Thurston, and I'll, right. I'll I'll float it
2: around. Uh, the only the only time I've been behind cameras, is like I, I you know I did like a small film called Omfug uh, that uh, years ago, which I only show once in a while at certain e- events, <laughs> <laughs> and it was sort of like a, a bit of a spoken narrative over a um, a, a digital camera. Uh, I did this in God, I did this in the late eighties, early nineties or something. And it's, it's about, um, being entranced by the visuals of the interior of CBGB before I ever went there because I would see, I would see photographs of it in Roxane magazine in black and white. And so the camera was sort of focusing on these photographs and eventually would move out into the street of, um, a Bleecker Street, and, and and follow it down into the Bowery, and there it is. And then I go into the, the club, um, uninvited, it's in the afternoon, and it's just like you know, there it's there's and there's those, and there's that interior. And so I'm sort of, discussing the interior as I'm walking through, as it, as it's coming into reality. So I did that film. It was how, called um,
0: oh How God. long is it? How long is the piece?
2: It's uh, possibly 40 minutes. Would you ever show it again publicly? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Actually, I've always wanted to tweak it a little bit because there's, there's a bit of a there's a bit of technical glitches in it. But other than that, it's 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 it's, it's showable. Yeah. Would, would
0: you ever pick up a camera again? And, uh... I, would love
2: to, I would love to do. It. But like I said before, I, I you know, I, I sort of am more accustomed to working, you know, more in solitude and um I love collaborating, but that's mostly working in free improvisation where everybody, its 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 there's no hierarchy, there's equal
0: value in all the players. Well, you, and, you could DIY it now with film, and, and I'm not telling you something you don't know. Yeah, you're right. And yeah, and people know. would give a lung to work with you editorially. Unless you're, you know, if you're making Iron Man 6, then I don't even know who you are anymore, Thurston Moore, but... Um, I can I, make Iron Man 6. I, I mean, I, <laughs> this, this is a challenge. I, is a challenge. I, I, I could see, well, Mark Mothersbaugh is scoring the new Thor movie, uh, so any, anything is possible. But I want to talk to you a little bit about your teaching in Boulder and... Uh, I work a
2: lot, you know, teaching with my co-publishing partner and my girlfriend, um, Eva Prins, and we we. Uh, have for the last five years been going to Naropa University in Boulder, Colorado and teaching at the summer writing workshop there which is called the Jack Kerouac School of Disembodied Poetics. Naropa University was founded by a, a, a Tibetan Buddhist uh, scholar Chagyam Trungpa Rinpoche um, and in 74 he let Allen Ginsberg who was a student of his and Ann Waldman who also was a student of his uh, study start this summer writing workshop to teach uh students poetry and naropa institute became naropa university became an accredited university and the faculty there has been since 1974 has been in, in, you know incredible is william s burroughs and kathy acker and diane de prima and gregory corso and cecil taylor and I mean, just amazing uh clark coolidge you know wonderful wonderful uh poets and musicians and artists and so I became aware of it more so into the, the 80s and to the 90s when I really became more aware of the history of underground poetry publishing um, in America and, and England and Canada and, and and how it was associated with a lot of independent means with, like, making records and, uh, and, and books and making films. And there was this whole sort of poetry underground that I had some awareness of, you know, just through knowing about, uh, the St. Mark's poetry project in New York, which, um, was always there in my backyard and had a very close association with the CBGB scene. And so when these connective tissues started coming more together for me, uh, I, I became really obsessed about, um, Finding the documents because they were becoming lost in the culture. They were becoming destroyed, and they were just these stapled mimeo anthologies of, of work where uh, people were sharing all these ideas coming out of Frank O'Hara, you know, and and also uh, um, just 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 pure literature, and. I would go on tour and every college play, uh, town I would go to, I would go to the secondhand bookstore and say, where's the poetry section? Oh, it's, it's in the very back. It's the last uh, aisle. I'd say, well, do you have any staple poetry mimeos from like the 60s and 70s? Oh yeah, those are on the very bottom corner in the where the, the, cat's, the cat is sleeping on top of them right now. <laughs> exactly. And so I was able to sort of beat the curve on this and sort of amass like – uh, a tonnage of this documents and, and, and it really became something where i sort of uh taught myself about the history of uh underground post-war poetry and started having poetry readings with um my friend byron coley who i did a lot of work with and who's a, a rock writer of note uh up up in northampton massachusetts and ann waldman came up saw my library and said i want you to teach at the school a completely wonderful experience uh you know and i uh was really wanting to sort of just really talk about poetry as a distinction from lyric writing and, and what it means as, as visuals on a page and the architecture of poetry and and not so much about its relationship to rock and roll or, or rock music, but that was a little hard to get away from because uh, yeah. students students would come into the class with their guitars and like, let's jam, you oh, know. I, uh, but, you know, I was able to sort of diffuse that somewhat <laughs> and, and compromise. Do they teach film
0: studies at, at Naropa? Uh, there is there there is film studies
2: at Naropa, yes.
0: Now, is is it a kind of ag- ag- agnostic spiritual approach? And I'm I'm not trying to sound critical it's here. It's a
2: Buddhist. It's a Buddhist-centric school, mm-hmm. um, but it does. You know, it, it you know, you don't have to be a practicing Tibetan Buddhist to like to to be teaching there or go, go to school there. Um, but uh, it but the the information is certainly there. So for me, it's just like I, I would look at buddhist texts and and being interested in religious philosophy and how it sort of relates to other uh religious ideologies be it catholicism i mean i grew up a catholic boy and you know judaism and sufism and muslim and i was just like uh i was i I like the language of of um, of consciousness, like the, the how there was Buddha consciousness and karma consciousness and Dharma consciousness, and and you it's something you attain through meditation. This relationship between the physical and the metaphysical. And I was I was like, well, where do I? I mean, I you yeah, know I can meditate. I'll try. I meditate, but it's at the same time it it's not. I'm not. I'm not a devotee of meditation. And I was like, well, where do I find my connection to the universe? Where do I find that solace? Or where do I find you know that place where I find transcendence you know uh, and I, I, I realize I find it actually in in the, the work you know in the playing rock and roll playing music or even more so being um, amidst the the documents you know the, the vibratory uh, memories and emotions that exist in like all the secondhand records and books in the stores or in your own library your own archive or whatever. And I said, well, that's where I find my connection, my meditation.
0: You're, you're my favorite kind of teacher. Uh, you're one who didn't finish college. And I mean that legitimately did two questions. Did they call you, uh, Mr. Moore, Professor Moore, <laughs> and uh, the more legitimate question is: Did you enjoy? Do you enjoy teaching? And if so, what what is it about that? Well, it's a it's, it's
2: conflict for me because I'm so anti-authority and I'm so anti-hierarchy.
0: <laughs> right. You know, so uh, <laughs> right.
2: like when I walk into a classroom, it's like, oh no, I got to be the boss man. But, uh, I don't really really want to be in a enclosed room where I'm, I'm, I'm the so-called leader. I, I don't mind sort of being the, the older person who is going to share, uh, experience, you know, and, and discuss it and, and then maybe employ, uh, some kind of activity that kind of, um, becomes a, a, a communal effort. I like that, you know, but that, you know, that's most, most, Academies want something a little more, uh, a little more stricter than that, and I'm not really that interested in that. And it's just the way it is. I I think I have enough on my plate where I don't really necessitate having to sort of um, get involved with the bureaucracy of academics. But
0: I do I do, I do like the experience for sure, and it's always rewarding. A final thought and a final question. We've been with Thurston more graciously giving us his time. Are you sick of Sonic Youth questions?
2: Oh God, no! Sonic Youth is 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 de- 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 defined my life. You know, I I, I, I started that band in, uh, in in you know in in 1980, and I had the name for some time, uh, and I finally sort of threw it down. I was like, this is the name of the group. After yeah. a few others we're, we're not working for us. Um, <laughs> You know, and subsequently I would have Sonic Life tattooed to my arm, which, you know, which is, which I'll, which I'll, I'll take into the, uh, the, into foreverness with me. But I, um, no, not at all. No, I mean, I think Sonic Youth existed longer than, than most bands, uh, could or should exist. And we kind of, um, grew up together and, and went through all kinds of arcs together. And it was all intuitive. And, um, Everybody we ever sort of worked with was, for the most part, just just wonderful and beautiful, and I, I keep uh, in close contact with to this day. And I think the way Sonic Youth uh, uh, ended with that last album, The Eternal, I think as a it's it, it's as as um, it, it's as wonderful as a, a final recording that we could have made. And I don't really feel like a plug was pulled, you know, or there were in um, or there was something left to be said. I think we, we, we said a lot. And, and I'm really into myself and hopefully and wishfully the, the other three members moving forward into new um, worlds of, uh, you know, creative, creative life, you know. So uh, I have nothing, nothing but good will and, and good feelings and good memories. And, you know, when I'm feeling really disconsolate possibly and walking down the street and somebody comes up to me just says like, Hey man, uh, thanks for all that Sonic Youth music. It really sort of helped me, uh, get it together, man. Uh, I, that, that makes my day, you know, and that, you know, and it just, it gets me, in it gets me to the next day.
0: And we had, we had Steve Jones who I love. I love Jonesy. I asked him the question about sex pistols. He actually, before I was done answering, asking the question, he said, I am sick of it, but you can ask me anything you want. I'm so not sick. I'm, I'm so not sick of, of Sonic. There's no way. And and, and I'm, it's, certainly, it's, and I'm it's, certainly not sick of sex pistols either. <laughs> I was going to say, I thought you were just going to say sex and leave it at that. But I'm not <laughs> sick of that either. Um, do you feel, and I saw this in passing that there may be a tome that you author up about, Sonic Youth.
2: And- I would love... I mean, I, you know, I write... People say, like, when are you going to write a book? I was like, I write books all the time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they're, all, they're all poetry books. You know, I'm sorry. Maybe you can read between the
0: lines. <laughs> I, uh, I,
2: I would love to, um, at some point, sort of use history as a means of writing about um, the experience of, of being in an avant-garde rock band and, like, what that meant. Um I'm not so interested in uh, in divulging too much about like you know any accommodating any salient interest in my personal life to tell you the truth. But I I, I would but you know I would like to write a book that deals more with um, just my gleaning of 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 what is beautiful about being devoted to being a creative artist, you know, and like what that means as far as, uh, engaging with the world, you know, um, and getting beyond the the me of it, you know what I'm saying? I I do. I do. And uh, that's, that's, that's the book I want to write.
0: Well, that's a small needle to thread and I want you to thread it because I love small needles, you know, and unfortunately we live in a world of big needles and garbage you know you read recently where you said you don't watch tv because it's making people numb and filling conversations with inertia maybe when you come to the states we could take a double-decker bus tour of manhattan you know the (laughs) lower east like the lower east side because i want you to like i won't with no tour guide i want you to tell me like oh that's where i did that and that's where that like that would be cool man so if this rock and roll thing doesn't turn out i think you're like a a double-decker bus tour away from really finding your calling <laughs> well, rock and roll is always turning out <laughs> that's that's true hey man thank you so much maybe the next time we do this we'll do it face to face i really want to thank you for being here yeah. uh long distance it was great talking with you thanks man um, thurston let's catch yeah. up again be well my friend you too bye-bye see i told you i told you thurston uh was a smart guy and and he you know even asking the asking him the question has it blocked you he, he was very resolute and simply making sense of it all as he does you know the these boxes there's a great Stanley Kubrick documentary about boxes and the great thing about that documentary he kept things in these kind of amazing, Works of state, these stationary boxes. He was obsessed with these boxes, but bo- it's a it's an interesting documentary. It's forty minutes, I believe, BBC. And what's interesting about that is it's it is a great metaphor for these boxes, you know, that Thurston, you know, the boxes of the mind. Uh, so I, I think the eloquence, his eloquence, readily addresses the question or his case for the answer that knowing and bringing information in uh is nourishment for him. It, it, it's funny talking about Jarmish and oh man, that I the image of Jim Jarmish and Thurston Moore working at Kinko's, let alone standing outside Kinko's smoking a cigarette on a, on a coffee break is really cool. <laughs> it's a short film waiting to happen. Um the uh, the the Jim Jarmish of it all, uh, Jarmish uh, he likes to quote Joe Strummer, and you we know, talk about East Village. Yeah, I, I'm convinced Joe Strummer was born in New York. I think that accent was fake. He, he's an East Village a deity, but he, Jim would always say, hey, you know, Joe, Joe told me no input, no output, you know, and that's, if, if you don't take it in, you, you know, the, the empty vessel can't create. Now, what we've been talking about is forms of nourishment, you know, and and Thurston has said very clearly recently that TV is a kind of, you know, a brain food, a brain candy. It's like an empty calorie. But again, I think, you know, we need this. We're talking about Jim Jarmusch watching Iron Man. Uh, You know, I I think um, we do need a sort of Rube Goldbergian counter-lever system to what we take in and what we push out. If you lived in a hole and took in no education and information where would you even start to create Now that's a polar that's a polar ground zero for this concept but the question of being able to take something in I think is important however I will say some of the more most interesting artists fascinating artists I've met in my life now they may lack a bedside manner but again that is not information that is not education that is that is that is gesture that is that is a that is a you know a satellite signal that is not knowing um, there you know so we do need to parse these these um, sports what is thinking what is knowing what is you know what kind of knowledge you know don't even get me started on college here you know so it is possible. And, and and really advisable <laughs> to take in, you know. But as I, I've said before here and to students before, I once was talking to a filmmaker who I found interesting. I'll leave the name out. And I said, how do you become an interesting filmmaker? He said, you become an interesting person first. And we've said that here, and I think it stands to reason that I think multidimensionality in terms of what we bring in how how can that hurt i do think it hurts when we set up this unnatural expectation you know and when we love something a lot of people not it's not a blockage they're just terrified to create because they think i've loved these people all my life i've loved these artists what if i'm not as good well what if you are <laughs> what if you are what if what if you do have the chops um you know, it it is a it is a job. It is a it is a path that you. The resume is empirical, and it's but it's also external. It's not internal, and doubt. Doubt is um, a great wall. We want to thank Thurston Moore for being here with us today. Um, he has a new album out, Rock and Roll Consciousness. We are hitting the road a little bit. Uh, we'll be here every week, though, fear not. But we will be on the road in Boston in May in Chicago at the Onion Film Festival with Christopher Guest Uh, we're here every week W-H-U-P-L-P-Hillsboro broadcast and live iTunes, Stitcher go to our website, drop us an email let us know you listen and we're honored you're along for the ride with us that's why we do it see you soon